Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to part two of The Fantastic World. I'm Greg Airbar, author of Hanna-Barbera, The Recorded History. We're back with our guest, Nick Santa Maria, co-author of the annotated Abbott and Costello. Nick now takes us back to the 60s when Abbott and Costello fans learned some fascinating news. All of a sudden, 1967, word gets out that Bud signed a contract with Hanna-Barbera to supply his own voice to the new Abbott and Costello cartoons. And those are special to fans, mostly because Bud Abbott had his last work experience voicing a character called Bud Abbott. Unfortunately, they went with a guy named Stan Irwin to do the voice of Lou rather than Mel Blanc, who did him beautifully in some Warner Brothers cartoons. But boy, oh boy, did they make a mistake. I'm sorry, but they made a real mistake. These are the only cartoons that I can remember my mother calling from two flights up in our house. Turn that off. It's driving me crazy. That's Stan Irwin. Hey, Yaman! Hey, Yaman! Hey, when you ended in an ooh, it's like, I want to do that. Oh, oh my <laughs> yeah. God. It was like being in an airplane between two tiny children, you know? You know who Stan Irwin was. Oh, of course I did. He yeah. produced their last show at the Riviera, I believe it was, in Las Vegas. He yeah. produced that final show. Was yeah. it the Sahara? I forget. Well, I don't know. But anyway, those- it was their final show. He was more of an impresario and a promoter than an actor or performer. I guess he had some background, but you have to wonder if the whole deal of him doing it was contingent. Maybe that's how they got thing but his presence there is inexplicable except that he cut deals so maybe that was part of it i wish i knew the history of it because we hear the same thing all the time about those cartoons and it's always about bud naturally we wouldn't be in this mess if you hadn't insisted on stopping for a malt yeah i'm half a mind to cancel my order <laughs> now you did it you made a man i'm a bad boy like you i'm curious about that why stan Irwin? Okay, if he was at a party, you know, and somebody said, oh, do your Lou Costello, I could see him doing that and people saying, oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, good, good, good. But getting in front of a microphone, if he had to audition, getting in front of that microphone and auditioning with that voice, I just don't get it. How did the hairs not stand up on the back of their necks when he was doing it? Maybe because of the way he could scream, hey, yeah, bat, because that was the (laughs) same song and that was... 
sort of yeah. the catch thing, but I guess we'll never know. And it is odd because Barbara and I think it was Alan Dinehart at the time, they were pretty good at casting for the audio quality of stuff. And Barbara recast roles mm -hmm. even while the show was being produced, thinking this ain't going to work. You know, mm -hmm. that was recast and Josie was recast. Do you remember when Barney Rubble had a different voice? Yeah, and there's a lot of conjecture about why that was. And I don't know if even Mel Blanc would explain it without it being apocryphal, but he... Uh, <laughs> he was good at that. I think part of... Yeah, you know, I went out and I ate carrots. I, ate carrots <laughs> to I was, feel like I was allergic to them. I would throw up after I did a bunch of other <laughs> Yeah, you know, it was that sort of... It makes a good press agent's paragraph. Celebrities have talking points today, too, but they did have these wonderful canned stories that they would tell. You were just writing about Margaret Dumont and how mm -hmm. a lot of people picked up on that story that she had no idea what was going on. Nobody that brilliant would not know. Mm -hmm. And that was something Groucho spread. It was a, a cheap joke from Groucho. That's all it was. And he carried it on forever like he did most jokes, <laughs> which is why people <laughs> hated sitting next to him at the Hillcrest Country Club. He would make the same jokes every single day, every time. But anyway, not only that, she was in burlesque. She was in vaudeville. She was on Broadway before she even knew who the Marx Brothers were. And she was from Brooklyn, for crying out loud. She knew what she was doing. But anyway, this was 1967. I was, what, seven or eight years old, depending on what month it was. And Abbott and Costello were a hot property. That's why there were cartoons being made. We watched them on weekends. There was one whole summer where there were two every Saturday afternoon on Channel 9, W-O-R. Yes, yes. They had one at 10 a.m. and another one at 2 p.m. And they were different. They, you had two different Abbott and Costello movies. That entire summer, I did not go outside for a Saturday. And then eventually, I switched from the Bowery Boys to Sundays at 11.30 in the morning, mm -hmm. where WPIX Channel 11 showed them every Sunday. Where I lived, and I think this is one of the reasons that the five-minute cartoon became popular is that stations could throw them any place, is if the Abbott and Costello movie ended early, rather than cutting it, they'd toss in a Lippy the Lion cartoon or a, a Touche Turtle. And so mm -hmm. sometimes you'd see them right after. It was like having a, you know, a featurette. Yeah, They're, which is wonderful. You could watch a Met game in New York, and if it rains out, all of a sudden they would show like a Gas House Kids comedy. <laughs> I don't know if you remember the Gas House Kids. There were three movies, but they showed them over and over and over again whenever a game was rained out. And I would pray for the game to be rained out. <laughs> so crazy I was. But oh, Lippy, oh, oh my. I love the voices. I just love the voices. You mentioned the voices, and you can say what you want about everything else, but boy, those soundtracks. I mean, and I know we talked before about Stan Irwin, by and large. There was always something to enjoy, and usually it was the music and the voices, if anything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, I agree with you. Dawes Butler, especially, he had a real knack for capturing these voices of comedians that he apparently loved when mm -hmm. he was younger. And we have them in our heads because of that. We have those voices in our heads. Ned you know, Sparks, he did. Ned and Sparks, the, Bert Lahr, Charlie Butterworth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he did the best, besides Will Jordan, the best Ed Sullivan. Oh, so funny. Yeah. It was really, really fun. Ladies and gentlemen, the Snagglepuss Little Theater presents a special treat for the youngsters, the star of tonight's show. <laughs> I got to play it, Sullivan, by the way. Did uh, you? One of the last shows I did was a show about Elvis. 
and I played like multiple characters and one of them was Ed Sullivan and I would always get a nice hand when I left and it was so nice to know that they remembered him. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? That's what they were applauding, really. Yeah. So you, you've led up to this beautifully to the cartoon. I have heard that the cartoon and in view of what was happening, he couldn't even keep the money that he made. The cartoon was the last thing he ever did. And also that was the only money he was making. Other than social security and whatever help his children could give him. He lived in a, uh, a small house in Woodland Hills with his wife, Betty. They had been married since like 1923, I think. And unfortunately, before he did the series for Hanna-Barbera, he did have a stroke. He wasn't really well. If you notice the pictures of him in the studio recording, I think there's one of those Walker Canes next to him. Mm -hmm. And things got worse after that. I mean, of course, the money situation was terrible. But he went outside, he was trying to trim trees, and he fell and he broke his hip. And that was the beginning of the, you know, the downward slide. But I love hearing about, and I know someone personally who actually did this, people who sought him out always found him welcoming. The door was open, come on in. He would sit, he would answer questions, he would talk to people, you know, maybe Betty would come out with some lunch. And the TV was always on. Always, which I love. I just love that. That's such a typical old person thing to do, you know, not just an old person, but an old show person. Blood was always in his bathrobe, which I totally relate to because when you're in show business, you're in a bathrobe. You got to have a bathrobe. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Even in the movies. (laughs) It's absolutely true. I have one here. You have to have a bathrobe. I think of Jackie Gleason coming out at the end of the show. <laughs> yeah. Takes off his costume and he puts on the bathroom. Yeah, with, <laughs> with the coffee and cigarette. <laughs> Thank you, Eloise. <laughs> yeah. oh, boy. It's interesting how casual it could be back then that people mm-hmm. would actually just go visit. Can you imagine today? Today, you know, there would be like security cameras and guards, and a dog, and, <laughs> you know, you name it. But back then, you could visit Stan Laurel. You could visit Bud Abbott. You know, you could knock on doors in those days. In fact, I did back in 79. I went to Beverly Hills with a girlfriend of mine and we knocked on people's doors and had a remarkable experience because of it. I knocked on Jimmy Durante's door and a male nurse opened the door and said he was too ill to see anybody, but I'll tell him two young fans were here. But you could hear him coughing in the next room right next to the door. And it was terrible. He died like a few months later. But then we went to Gene Kelly's house. And that night, Singing in the Rain was on public television. Now, no VCRs, no nothing like that. Was, so this was a special occasion. I asked my girlfriend for a piece of paper and a pen. And I wrote out, uh, hi, we're big fans of yours. Tonight, we plan on watching Singing in the Rain on PBS. Uh, it's on at nine o'clock. We would love to invite you to dinner and a movie. Here's my phone number. Please get in touch. This would be an honor for us. So we knocked on the door, a maid answered. We said, can you see that Mr. Kelly gets this? And she said, sure. And she took it. And we forgot about it. We laughed and went home. Six o'clock that night, the phone rang. Hello, this is Gene Kelly. I I just want to say that I can't make it. But if I could, I would. And I just wanted to wish you a wonderful time. Have a great time watching this. I'm like, holy God. (laughs) Great Gene Kelly. I've never heard anyone. It was in my head. Actually, that conversation was in my head. That's why it came out. But yeah, he called. He was nice enough to call and make our, our week. You know what I mean? That simple little kind gesture. Wow. What a wonderful time. 
We should mention, this reminds me, we should mention our mutual dear, dear friend, Will Ryan. And that's another thing we should mention, too, for those of you who are enjoying our visit with Nick. He and Will Ryan created a comedy team that was a tribute uh, more to Abbott and Costello than anyone, but probably an amalgam of all of them. And yes. they they did a series of films written and directed by Michael Schlesinger that are called Biffle and Schuster. Each one of them is a genre. Schmoboat is in, in like Cinecolor uh-huh. and musical review with a slim storyline, like we mentioned. And then there's a, it's a frame up and then there's a domestic comedy. There's a mystery. And people apparently who have screened them didn't know they mm-hmm. were from the era. I, I showed one of them to my class and they thought it was a vintage comedy. Hey, what are you doing, Benny? Oh, I'm writing to a correspondence school. They're teaching me how to write. Mm, good luck on that. Hey, look. Ooh. Hiya, folks. B-I-F-F-I-F-I-F-I-F-I-F-I-F-I-F-I-F-I-F-I-F-I-F-I-F-I-F-I-F-I-F-I-F-I-F-I-F-I-F-I-F-I-F-I-F-I-F-I-F-
She said that they were well aware of what they were. There were no misconceptions. You know, they just happened to be two funny guys that happened to be under contract that RKO put together. And they made a series of about eight films. And they're, all, they're fun. They're not great, but they're fun. But Annie was stunned that that's what I wanted to know. You know, and then my next question was about Bella Lugosi. So, <laughs> so she knew I was a weirdo. We went on from there. Well, I think that that's always a plus for accomplished people is that they have these rote questions and they kind of get tired of answering. But if you come yeah. up with something that you truly, sincerely thought was so cool, yeah, like for my Hanna-Barbera book, I interviewed Marjorie Gray, who was married to uh, Sheldon Harnick. And yeah. she was in major Broadway shows. But I was talking about Heidi's song. And she says, no one's ever asked me about this. And she had all these great stories about, you know, doing the voice in and how they worked as an ensemble, because that was what they did at Hanna-Barbera. They almost always worked as an ensemble, even for features. And the other thing was that they did bring back, like we were saying, bring back a lot of vintage people, not just Bud Abbott, but the entire Jetsons cast. When they oh, could God. easily have... George Hanlon and Penny Singleton, all, all those great. Those who are listening to this already know the stories about how they were not terribly. George was not well. Dawes was not well. Mel mm -hmm. was not well. And they brought back these folks. And Bud Abbott sounds, he didn't sound good in all of his, all of their films, even towards the end, because of his smoking and, and, uh, and the drinking. In the cartoon, he sounds very, very gruff. So they could have got someone else, but they didn't. And I'm so glad they didn't. They could have got somebody else, but they got the real thing. And, hey, you know, it, it is an animated version of them. And he has that odd-shaped head. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, I do own a cell from the Abbott and Costello cartoons of really? Lou, Lou's character. Yeah, it's an actual cell from the, from the cartoons. Wow. See, now, yeah. if I had one, I could say, I have a cell, too. <laughs> Just like Dan Irwin. <laughs> And I would say, Costello, don't say those things. <laughs> he called him Lou in the cartoons more than in the movies. Yes, it's true. I don't know why he, that he, was. I think they just wrote it that way. And he read yeah. what was there in front of him. I don't think, there was, you know, of course, there's no ad-libbing when you're uh, recording a voice track, unless you're you're doing for Fleischer or, or you're Robin Williams. Yeah, they just changed it to Lou. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. It's like Laurel and Hardy called each other Stan and Ollie. You know, yeah. they didn't call each other. Hey, Laurel. Hey, Laurel. Yeah. <laughs> I always thought it was funny that, that Abbott and Costello always referred to each other by their last names. Hey, Abbott, what is it, Costello? You know? <laughs> yeah, but that's a, uh, it's a service thing. You know, back in those days, you either were by your last name or where you were from, at least in the movie. Yeah, that's hey, true. Hey, South Dakota. <laughs> Hey, Frog Hollow. <laughs> the comedy just never stops with Mr. Nick Santamaria, ladies and gentlemen. We want to remind you he'll be here all week and <laughs> that he has this really good book. I really enjoyed reading this and going back to each of the films and learning stuff I didn't know. So I congratulate you on that. You. And I also thank you for talking about this cartoon because very few people could really explain the circumstances behind it because there are a few of them on youtube i'd love for them to be put back together but who knows what condition all those prints are in yeah 
Yeah, I wonder if the originals exist. Do you think the originals exist? That's one of the toughest things when people say, like, why can't they put banana splits or touche turtles, another one. A lot of those were 16 millimeters, and they have trouble finding the 35s. And if you watch Wally Gator or Lip of the Lion DVDs that Warner Archive put out, there's Mm -hmm. varying degrees of quality. I think that's the case there, because there must have been 65 of these, which is another thing. Grinding out 65 episodes is no easy feat in a busy studio so they're kind of fun they're fun and it was fun talking to you thank you same here as always and and i just wanted to mention that when i think about bud doing this role and reading the scripts he's back in radio he's been radio for for years you know stop kidding around stop making up stories (laughs) (laughs) yeah well thanks so much and i thank you all for listening and hope that you'll join us again on our next show. We hope you enjoyed the fantastic world of Hannah and Barbara with Greg Airbaum. Please join us again, and many thanks for listening. Yeah.